We come before you as people who are broken and as people who um, are all in different relationships with you. Some of us are really excited to be here. Some of us are not even sure why we're here. Some of us don't even know if you are real. But we're here, and being here is an indication that we're, we want to learn, we want to figure things out, we want you to speak to us, we want to, we want to know you. Um, so, Jesus, I declare this space yours. I declare this space your kingdom. I declare you my king and our king. And I ask that you would give us the courage to believe tonight what's true and to throw out what's false. That the words that are spoken, um, that are good, would rest on our soul and the words that might be harmful or hurtful, we would push aside and we would offer grace. I ask that in your name. Amen. Yes, unfortunately I don't have an interpretation for that right now, but uh, I'm sure mom does. Well, we are in our last week on authenticity, and we're in a series all year called The Rooted Disciple. And the idea is, is that we think that if people grow close to Jesus, if people imitate Jesus, if they grow close in their relationship with Jesus, they'll be transformed. And to the, the degree that they are close to Jesus is the degree that they're going to tra- be transformed. But not only that, we believe that as people grow closer to Jesus, as they pursue Jesus, as they imitate Jesus, it's not just us who changes, but the people around us change. Our workplaces change. And so what we decided to do this year as we were thinking about the theme was we're like, well, the village has six values, and we kind of think those six values are a description of what Jesus values. And so why don't we take those six values and really dig into them and get people to participate by responding and doing different stuff. So we started out in authenticity. Next week we're going to start the disciplines. After we walk through Lent and the disciplines, we're going to look at creativity. After creativity, we're going to look at truth. After truth, we're going to look at accessibility. And then last, in the fall, we're going to go through Exodus and look at community and what community is. And the idea here is just that we would get ourselves rooted into these values and become disciples of Jesus in a deeper way and see our church change and see our families change, see our friends change because of how close we've become to Jesus. So we started out in authenticity. And in authenticity, we decided to get into Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk is an authentic prophet. Now he's a minor prophet, he's in the Old Testament, but his whole name means to wrestle with or to hug, to to embrace. Um, And so his three chapter prophetic speaking is actually an authentic arm wrestling with Jesus. You see, Habakkuk starts out in chapter one saying, okay, the people that I live in with, the Israelites, the people who are God's people, have become violent, there's no justice, they're mistreating the poor, and he's looking around at this, worship of God has pretty much gone away, and he's like, God, you're silent. You're not doing anything about this, and this seems to be outside of your character. So what are you going to do about this? Are you going to do something? So he, and he's very dramatic about it. And so God says, yes, I'm going to do something about it. 
I'm going to send the Babylonians to wipe out Jerusalem. I'm just going to get rid of Israel altogether. And Habakkuk's like, wait a second. Why, why would you take bad, bad people to wipe out your people who aren't as bad? That doesn't make any sense. Like, and he starts describing these Babylonians or these Chaldeans, and you know, they're just horrible people. What they do, they steal your home, they steal uh, your money, they steal your city by just killing you and your family and, and, and basically eliminating you from the world. That's how they operate. They take what's not theirs. And he's like, how can you possibly do that? And he, he thinks that he has a great argument against God. And so he says in the beginning of chapter 2, I'm going to stand here up on the ramparts, up high. And this is important. I'm going to look out and I'm going to see what God says because I have a good argument. Let's see what God says. Now we've defined authenticity as being honest with God and honest with others. Now I'll tell you that if you're troubled with the brokenness of your own life, the brokenness of the world, the violence, everything that's going on in the world and in your own life that isn't good, if you're troubled by that and you begin to be honest with God about it, He'll give you an honest answer. God will be authentic. The only thing is, usually when God is authentic with you, He doesn't say, here's why, and here's why I'm doing this, and why this happens. He's not a guy who answers why. And if you're a parent, don't answer why when your kid asks, right? I mean, you know what kind of trouble you end up getting in. God knows what trouble he gets in. Usually, when God gives you an authentic answer, it goes something like this. This is the way of God, and this is the way of the ungodly. Now be quiet. That's God's usual, honest answer. So to Habakkuk, he says, the righteous people live by faith. And he says, it's not just that they live by faith, they live by my faith. And then he says, ungodly people, well, they, they live, they're selfish, they're violent, they exploit people sexually, and their worship of God is God is gone. They worship everything that will empower them and strengthen them. Their worship is of idols that don't speak, of things that don't offer anything back. When you face God, and you ask him a hard question, his usual answer is this is what it looks like to live out a godly life, and this is what it looks like to live out an ungodly life. And so at the end of chapter 2, the last verse that God offers Habakkuk is, be quiet, listen, because I'm in my temple. Be quiet. Now it's kind of like this picture, I don't know if you've ever read Isaiah, but Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, a prophet who wrote a really long prophecy, he meets God, and his experience of meeting God is, oh, I'm an unclean person with un living amongst an unclean people. Right? My lips are, and my words are unclean. When we're with, authentic with God, he usually says, this is who you are. This is, what, this is where you need to go. Now, the reason he would do this is that people, you and I, live in chaos. And we need rules. We need the way it's supposed to be so that we can have our souls restored. You see, usually what God says when he's being authentic is he says, look, don't live impulsive like a, an animal. Live like an image bearer of God and live in the order of things. Now be quiet and listen. So, 
I was thinking about that be quiet and listen when I talked about this last week, and, and I realized that it's very hard in our culture to be quiet and listen. Right? Because if you ever tried to just sit for a few minutes and stop talking, if you're, if you're like me and you're sitting in the house, your house, you look at the wall and you say, oh, I took that piece of drywall off. I wonder when I'm going to fix that. Oh, wow, look at that. We missed that spot where we were painting. Oh, and then I think, then I, my brain, being quiet isn't just not talking. Being quiet, when God says be quiet, is being, getting to calm your brain. Now, however long Habakkuk is quiet, I don't know, but in chapter 3, he sings a song. Now what we think from what we understand of the description of the song in chapter 3 is that it's a loud song, a song with, with lots of strings and lots of noise. Last week I said it was a happy Metallica song, which is not possible, but, but that's what it, what it is. It's, it's this loud, boisterous song, and he starts the song off, and we covered the last two verses last week, but he starts the song off saying, you know what, God? I've heard about you, about your fame, and I've heard about your deeds. And I'm in awe of them. So I, I thought about you. I thought about who you were. When I quieted down, I began to think about who you were. And what I really, really want, what I really, really want is what you did in the past. I want it to happen now in the present. I want you to bring your fame. And I want to bring you to bring your deeds into the present. Okay? And then he says something really interesting. He basically says, Okay, I understand that I need, we need to get disciplined. In your wrath, show mercy. It's interesting because at the beginning of Habakkuk, chapter 1, he's like, oh, do something, God, about this violence. Do something about this mistreatment of people. Do something about the poor. At the beginning of chapter 3, he says, okay, God, I need to be corrected. We need to be corrected. But when you do it, he's authentic. Like any child who's about to face a very severe consequence. Don't thank me too hard. Don't remember your love. Now, like I said last week, God doesn't forget his love. It's not like yesterday's like, oh man, right, I'm merciful. That's right, I forgot all about that. No, he is the originator of mercy and compassion. But to be authentic with God, to be real, it's like, hey God, don't forget it. Don't, don't forget when you discipline us. When you discipline us. So there's this change. And this is what happens when you're authentic with God. You're transformed. When you're honest with Him about your frustrations, He will speak to you and He will transform you. Now, we're going to finish the rest of the chapter. So we're going to start in Habakkuk, which I think, if you have this black Bible, is somewhere around page 900 and something. 930. Some it's 31, some it's 30. Um, but if you turn to Habakkuk chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 3 and finish out this song. Now Habakkuk has said, I'm re we're ready for these consequences. And then he does something really interesting. He begins to talk about God. Verse 3, he says, God came up from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Terem. Now this little phrase, you can find in Deuteronomy, it's how Moses, the greatest prophet of Israel, starts out his farewell prayer. 
This is where Habakkuk starts. Habakkuk says, God is coming up out of Teman and Paran. Now that's where Mount Sinai is. Mount Sinai is where Moses brought the, Egypt, or the Israelites to. That's where the law was given. Okay? It's where it all began. Where a Hebrew became a Hebrew. They were given the law of God. God showed up and passed his backside, passed in front of Moses. This is where God was, where the cloud was, where there was smoke, where that's where it all started. Now here's the thing. In relationships, the only way that you and I can nurture relationships really is to remember. I've been married for, I'll be married for 18 years on March 8th. Yay, you can clap for that. And the thing about, wow, you guys are both just, last week people were cheering for the, the, the Sunday school teachers. This week you guys are a little, not cheery. But one of the things I've realized being married 18 years, the thing that nurtures my love with my wife is for us to begin to go back to the beginning and begin to reinterpret how it all happened. Right? To, to retell the story, to, to make it happen differently in some way and to kind of begin to remember, oh, that's why we fell in love. And then you begin to talk about those main events. And it's funny... The problem with, you know, going back to the beginning and then starting to talk and tell stories to one another is that you, they get all jumbled up. The, the history or the, the order of things gets jumbled up and how the two of you remembered them gets jumbled up, right? But the key is going back to the beginning. And I, I think this is really important. Part of authenticity is actually when God is authentic with you, what he's going to invite you to do and he invites Habakkuk to do it, is to begin to talk about how your relationship with him began. Because no matter who you are, if you grew up in the church, or you had one of those lightning bolt hits you, you were an evil person, and now you're a good person, kind of testimony, you have to go back and tell your story. You have to tell your story to God, you have to tell your story to yourself, and you have to tell the story to other people as to how it all began. Because that's how you continue to connect to God. That's how you connect to anybody, is to go back to the beginning. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you do have those moments. You know, I grew up in the church. And so actually some of my moments have been told to me. And I hold on to them tightly. Like when I was four years old, apparently I got up and told my mother I wanted to be a Christian, and I sat on her lap and prayed to become a Christian. I don't remember that but it's a story of where I began and I hold on to it and I tell it all the time because it's where I started. It's where God and I began to have a relationship. My mom tells another story I don't remember, but when I was five, I was praying with her and um, a friend of hers. And when we stopped praying, apparently after I left, her friend said, oh man, the Spirit of God is on your son. No, I don't remember the Spirit of God being on me at all. I don't even remember being five. But it's another story... <laughs> where I can hold on. That's how it began. I, it began when I was five. Now, one of the stories I can remember is when I was a junior in high school sitting in youth group with the pastor and a few other people on a Sunday morning and, and having had this horrible sophomore year of high school and a bad summer and sitting there and saying, I don't want to be depressed anymore. I don't want to not be connected to God. I want my parents' faith to be my faith. 
And that was a moment where I look back on it and I, I tell it, and you know, it's always told a little differently. But it's a moment where God intersected with me. It's a beginning. Part of being, part of God responding to your authenticity is He's going to invite you to tell your story. But it's not just for you. And it's not just for God. You need to be able to tell your story to the people around you, to your kids. They need to know how God intersected with you. You need to tell it. And you need to tell it to the point where they're like, well, that didn't happen that way, Dad. You told it differently last time. Right? It, they need to, it has to be part of the lore. It needs to be the lore of your friends. This is where Habakkuk starts. He, he starts talking about his people and how God intersected with them. And he says, God came up from Sinai. And he starts getting really excited. He says, his splendor was like the sunshine rays flashing from his hands where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed in his footsteps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. His ways are eternal. Now, if you remember Israel's story in Egypt, how did they get out of there? By a bunch of plagues and pestilence. Like Pharaoh's like, get out of here. Go. It was God who did that. And he's starting to just poetically talk about that. And it says, I saw the tents of Cushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, O Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the seas when you rode with your horses and your victorious chariots? You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and withered. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Now, what is he thinking of? He's thinking of Noah. He's thinking of, of the, the Red Sea separating. He's thinking of the Jordan River separating. He's thinking of all these water events that happened in Israel's history. And he's going on and on. And he's getting excited about it because it was big. And he's talking about what God has done. Now, if we were to tell the story of this church that way, there are things that we could say like, you know, we were at the Muse, which no longer exists, which is the YMCA and they were going to destroy it, and we had no place to meet, and some church that we didn't even know said, oh, hey, we looked at your website, saw that you don't have a place to meet next week. We want to have you come meet here for basically free so you can save up money to have your own building. We don't know you. God intervened. Or how about when we were like, we don't know what we do. We can do. We can't find a place to meet. We don't know how to meet. And then all of a sudden, somebody calls us and says, hey, we have $300,000 we want to give you if you raise 100000 those, that's part of our story, right? It's, it's part of the waves exploding in our community. We can talk about how people in this community's lives have been broken and abused and how God has renewed you and transformed you. How children have been adopted and cared for. How people have sat and cried with one another and celebrated. We have stories. They're stories of where God intersected. And hopefully, we tell them with some kind of excitement because that's what authenticity is actually about. 
The invitation when God is authentic with us in response to our complaints and our struggle is to invite us to talk about how he's actually been in relationship with us. What he's done for us to remember. But he's not done. He's, he's going to talk. In verse 11 he says, The sun and the moon stood still in the heavens, and the glint of your flying arrows at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head, and his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the seas with your horses, churning the great water. When Israel moved from the desert into the promised land, they defeated almost 32 nations to, to, to settle that. That's what he's talking about. There were moments in that where God made the sun stand still, where people marched around castles, basically, and they crumbled. And so he's excited, right? Because how did he start this song? The song started, take all those amazing deeds of our past and bring them into the present. Bring your character. Have relationship with us. And so he's remembering everything that God has done. A big part of being connected to God, being rooted in God, is to remember. Now the thing is, most of us aren't great storytellers, right? We are not good at telling stories. So you have to practice. And maybe it's just the story feels kind of lame when you tell it how you met Jesus or how God intervened in your life or whatever. Keep practicing. Have other people tell it with you. Tell it in community because you know when you start telling a story with people who were there, they'll add their part. They'll tell you, oh no, remember God did this in your life. Be connected. We have to be willing to speak. To be authentic, we need to be willing to remember. Verse 16. I heard, and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones, and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nations invading. So he's like, I know, God, that you're going to do something about these Babylonians. And I will wait. And the things that you will do will be terrifying. So terrifying that my own skin crawls thinking about it. You're going you're gonna to take care of them. But there's an interesting thing. He says, while I'm waiting, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stall, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. What did he say? I will what? Rejoice. rejoice in the Lord. Now, what he's saying is, when the Babylonians come, and the Chaldeans come, and we have no food, and the future looks really bad, and there's nothing to eat, and our kids are starving, and our whole national identity is being swept away, I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk starts out saying, things are bad, God, you need to do something. Habakkuk begins to end by, no matter how bad things are, no matter how bad they look, 
no matter how hard it is for me, I will rejoice in the Lord. Now, rejoicing in the Lord is not being, oh, happy. Yes, yay, there's nothing to eat. That's great. My children are dying and starving. I'm so happy. No, no, that's not not what he's saying. Here's, Here's the thing. If you put your hope in dates and grapes, and if you put your hope in cattle, and if you put your hope in your wife, and if you put your hope in your children or in your job or in your strength, whatever, if you put your joy in any of those things, they're going to go away. Isaiah 40 tells us that everything is like grass. It withers, it burns, it goes away. Right? But the word of the Lord stays forever. You know, two million people, I think, every year die in the United States. I don't know what that is, 7,000 a day? Something like that? You know, statistics to figure that out for me. That means that a certain number of people get up in the morning and they're not going to go to bed. That means that, who knows, in the next 10 years or so, I'm going to do some of your funerals. Is it going to die? You may be at mine. If we hold, if our joy is in this life, if our joy is in the things that we can get a hold of, in our strength and our power, we're going to be bitter and angry because it's all going to go away. We can't hold on to it. All that you have, all that you think that makes you who you are, is just grass. But the joy that doesn't go away, that's eternal, is this joy that you have in the Lord. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to have the joy of the Lord? Why, why, would, why would the Lord, why would that be joyful? When Habakkuk says to God, in your wrath, have compassion, have mercy. That word mercy means a mercy that is poured out from God that cannot be returned. What he means is, in this world, the only hope, the only thing that's going to give us meaning is you. So to have joy in God is to find your meaning to find your existence, to understand all that you are, not through your own filter, but through God's filter. To have God define you, have God say who you are, and have God sustain you. To have that happen, you have to let go of being selfish. You have to let go of being violent. You have to let go of being sexually exploited exploiting people. You've got to let go. You have to let go of all the little gods that you have organized in front of you. And if you don't know how to figure out the gods that you have, that you worship, then just think, if that were taken away from me, would I be angry? Would I throw a fit? If that were taken from me, would I be angry? If that were taken from me, because anything that's removed from you and you get angry about it and you are indignant about it, it's your God and you're worshiping it. 
The thing that you think, I can't live without it. And you know what? It doesn't give you joy. You let go of those things and you will find your joy in God. You will find an intimacy, an authenticity, a closeness that you didn't have. Now, he fleshes this out a little bit more. He says, I will be joyful in the God my Savior. The second key to finding a joy in God is realizing that you need a Savior. That's simple. That you need to be rescued. That on that cross, there is your joy. That the God of the universe, in His unquantifiable love, got up on a cross and died for you. For your sin, for your brokenness. And so your joy is in the fact that the God of the universe, the dad of all of you, said, I'm going to die so we can, so you can be my children. I'm going to raise from the dead so you can be my children. So how do you have joy? You look at the cross. You look at Jesus on the cross. And you say, that's saying to me, you love me. And there I can, I can find hope. Because what is joy really? A hope that someday you and I won't live in this broken world, but we will live with the Restorer. We will live with the God of the universe. We will live with our dad. He loves us. Verse 19. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. 1 Corinthians 10.13 One of my favorite verses. It says this, No temptation or trial has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. When Habakkuk is standing in the punishment of God, when Israel is standing in the punishment of God, when you are being destroyed by a nation, where do you go? To the mountain. To the mountain. You escape. You run away. You go to the hills where armies can't follow you. So what Habakkuk is saying at the very end of this is that in the midst of the trial, in the midst of you not providing what we need, saving us, in the sense of getting rid of the Babylonians, you give us a way out. You help us escape. You will fix our feet in the mountains. You'll show us how to get away, how to survive. I don't know where you are when, when it comes to, the, to what you're struggling with in life. I don't know where you are in, this, in the sense of this project where you're trying to respond to Habakkuk and write songs and paint paintings and just write journals or even just thinking about doing those things. I don't know how you feel about the losing of your 
spouse or the things that happen to your kids or your family members walking away from God. And we can go down the list of the things that just are agonizing. I don't know where you are with all of that. But I want you to hear Habakkuk at the very end say, no matter what happens, no matter if nothing changes, my joy is found in a God who loves me and gives me meaning and gives me hope because he saved me. And not only that, in the midst of all of this, he is going to actually show me where to put my feet. When things are rocky, when I'm not able to do what I need to do, he's going to show me where I should put my feet. And what's really interesting is that at the beginning of chapter 2, where does Habakkuk go? He goes up onto the ramparts to look out on things. And Habakkuk ends by saying, you lead me to the high place. And sometimes he gets up there on the rampart and God knocks him down and then takes him to his high place. To the place where it's safe for him. Now, something I've learned about walking with God is that I'm not good at it. And I don't know, we do this with almost any discipline in our life. Like we need to exercise. We kind of rationalize ourselves out of exercising because we don't know what to do. Or it's too hard. Or, you know, maybe we need to to stop being angry. And we're just always angry. But we just, a lot of times we just don't know where to begin. What Habakkuk is saying is, when you don't know where to begin, God will put your feet in the right places. God will sturdy you. God will hold you. He will put you where you need to be. You don't need to do it. I think a lot of times what we hear is, oh, okay, I need to tell these stories. I need to do these things. I need to... No. What you need to do is you need to say, okay, God, just show me where to put my next step. You don't need to know the answer at the end. Just ask God, show me where to put the next step. What Habakkuk says is he lives. In the midst of everything that you don't think you can live through or deal with or figure out, God will do it. He'll show you every step. The time is it. Okay, I have five minutes for you to ask questions, have me clarify things. Yes, sir. Anybody else want to talk? Yes, man in the back. I can't see that I can recognize your voice. <laughs> Yeah, I 
Yes. Well, what I would say is that Habakkuk is for public worship, and it's to teach us how to interact with God. We don't. We don't. I'm not saying let's all end at the end of Habakkuk and live there. Life is a cycle where we say, God, I don't think this is right. And God says, this is what I'm going to do. And we're like, I don't like what you're doing. And then God talks to us. And I think what Habakkuk is doing is painting a picture for us of how to relate with him authentically. And then he's showing us how God answered him and that we can learn something from that. Yes, ma'am. Sure. I agree. Yes. 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 Very good. Thank you for that expansion of that. That was awesome. Very good. Any, any other last thoughts before we close? Yeah. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us Habakkuk as an example of authenticity and how we can relate to you. Um, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins and raising from the dead. And we just ask that as we eat, as we sing, and as we pray together, that you would be with us. And I say in your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, now, I just want to say, next week, uh, we are transitioning from authenticity to the disciplines, and it's going to be uh, a whole new project. Rod has written a devotional for Lent, which is every day you will read something and have an opportunity to respond. And... A leader at the beginning of these series introduces it by talking about the values. So next week, Ron Lehman, over there, in the awesome shirt over there, uh, yeah, is gonna is gonna talk to us about discipline and what it means to be disciplined and to follow Jesus as a disciplined learner. So I'm really excited about that. Please come, remember, smile, cheer, clap for him, give him give him lots of courage to present God's word. Um, there's a couple ways tonight that you can respond. One is through offering. If you're visiting with us, we're just happy to have you. You don't need to give anything. If uh, you're a villager, this is how we 
uh, pay for pastors, pay for the lights, all those nice good things. Um, if you just the last person put it underneath their uh, chair, that oh, sorry. <laughs> 